<laughs> Why are you such idiots? If you're going to do something dumb, at least be smart about your dumb right? thing. My God. Plan better, guys. I'm not telling you how to do a crime. Just don't do it this poorly. <laughs> Hi, and welcome to Halfway History. I'm Jonathan. And I'm Kylie. And this is a podcast where we talk about the upcoming week, but a long time ago. I'm not very long ago. Oh, I'm a little bit. I- I'm kind of long ago. I'm hanging out in the 70s. Oh, I I am hanging out in the 30s, the 1830s. Oh, boy. (laughs) So you are much longer than me. (laughs) This this might be my oldest one. This might be your first time going first. (laughs) Yeah, well, first because of date. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Oh, yeah, yeah, because we were alternating before, and then we were like, this is stupid. (laughs) Yeah, cool. Um, Do we have anything to talk about from last week? I don't Um, think so. I can't think of anything. Oh, you know, I should probably forewarn everyone. Um, I was at a bachelorette party this weekend, so my voice is a little uh, not happy. So (laughs) just a heads up if I start sounding really scratchy or very lispy, it's because I'm very tired. Drunk. No, not drunk anymore. Just (laughs) very tired. (laughs) I slept three hours last night. (laughs) I am well rested. Well, screw you. <laughs> Me and Bilbo played many games this weekend and slept in very late. Uh, I drank a lot in public and on the beach. The nice thing about like staying at like a resorty thing is that no one cares if you're wandering around with beers on the beach. It's a nice change of pace. That is nice. Yeah. All right. So, anyways. Actually, kind of speaking of beaches, uh, (laughs) today I want to take you aboard a journey on the HMS Beagle back on July 19th. Oh. Did that ring a bell? Yes, it did. Why? Um, oh shoot, what's his name? Darwin. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So the HMS Beagle was a ship that Charles Darwin took to the Galapagos. Uh, but we're not going to the Galapagos today. (laughs) We're, we're actually leaving it right now. Um, on a journey back from the Galapagos Islands, um, that the islands that he would later use to formulate his publication of the origins of species and the theory of of evolution, Darwin made a stop on an island that that the world stopped paying attention to for most of the 1990s, almost the whole century. Wow. Um, that was the Island of Ascension. Um, if the Galapagos was Charles Darwin's Eden, Ascension was his Inferno. Oh, dear. Did yeah. he get like shipwrecked or something no no he i think he intentionally went there either oh. as a as a planned stop or as something he wanted to see i don't oh, really okay. i don't i didn't see if there was motive to why he went to ascension but it was a stop on his tour back to where, okay. where he started it's interesting because island of ascension doesn't sound like it should be a real place there are a <laughs> lot of islands that are like deep in the ocean um that are just weird. They're they're very weirdly named. Um, like there's also like what it what is it? It's a really depressing sounding one in oh, no. the Arctic. The only reason why I'm I, I almost think it may have even been like Island of Depression or something oh. like that, <laughs> uh, or like Island of Destruction or something like that. Okay. Um, but the only reason I remember it is because I think we mentioned Pokemon Go last week too. Jesus. Um, awesome. But the <laughs> thing that made Pokemon Go real, it stemmed from a Google Maps April Fools, where Nintendo and Google put Pokemon all over Google Maps, and you could find 151 Pokemon in different locations on Google. Oh, okay. And that's that's kind of what stemmed the existence of Pokemon Go. Oh. Oh, it was Desolation. Oh, um, yes. Okay, I've heard of that. The place where I found a Gengar, which is one of my favorite Pokemon, mm-hmm. was on the Isle of Desolation in Antarctica. Oh, okay. So they have a lot of, like, really darkly named islands in if, if you kind of go off the beaten path and like out. not near continents like all of those islands are named kind of weird. okay all right yeah <laughs> i mean i guess hey have fun with your name since when people actually inhabit the islands they don't want to live on the island of what was it 
desolation. desolation. Yeah, I fair, mean, it's in yeah, Antarctica. I don't think anyone's really going <laughs> to live there anyways. No, that's true. But someone could live on the island of Ascension. Yeah, that sounds a lot better. It does. Um, also, from uh, the island... Eh, God, what was I saying? Oh, I was mentioning islands that are really far away. The island of Ascension is over a thousand miles away from any other landmass and any other like continent. So it's like more, it's like 14,000 miles from, um, from South America. It's like a thousand miles from, um, Africa. And it's like another like 1500 miles from Antarctica. It's like right in the smack dab middle of that big open area. I always forget how like vast the ocean is. Until, like, people are like, we found a new island. And I'm like, how? <laughs> yeah. Where, where did it magically appear from? <laughs> yeah. I mean, now, now that we have, like, really good satellite imaging, I think, That's I true. think that we've covered anymore, most but, like, everything. Yeah. But, yeah, back not too long ago, we didn't have that. And yeah. there's all these little islands we were still discovering. Um, but anyways, we're, we're back in 1836 now. Um, and... So I, I mentioned before, Island of Galapagos was Charles Darwin's Eden. Ascension was its inferno. This is a paraphrase quote from a National Geographic photographer and journalist, Claire M. Feisler. A lot of the information that I'll be pulling was from her experiences. Thanks, Claire. Thanks. Um, so Ascension Island was nearly entirely volcanic rock, a few beaches, fewer vegetation, and a handful of people. Uh, Ascension was a British military outpost at the time that Darwin arrived and still is to this day. Wow. Um I'm unsure what the population was back then, but currently it supports about 800 people. Okay, so smaller than my hometown, which is Small. surprising sometimes. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so when they landed, Darwin took a look around and called the island hideous. <laughs> like, just right off the bat, he was like, this is hideous. It is barren. It is hot. There is a single tree growing in the distance on that mountain. There is okay. nothing here. Okay, you know what? This is actually starting to sound like my high school. Oh, which yeah? Which did have about 800 students in it. <laughs> so, yeah, we're, like, pretty on par. <laughs> there you go. Um, so, Darwin would go on to main Nemi... Wow, that was <laughs> dyslexic. Dar- <laughs> Darwin would go on to name many places on the island after the devil or unpleasant imagery. Okay. I've made it. Uh, <laughs> one of the places was a picture of a cove surrounded by a dark black lava rock and cinder cones with beautifully blue uh, and clear water. And he, I don't remember if he called it this or it, it's just called this. Um, it's called the Comfortless Cove. I'd oh, be that's... super comfortable there, honestly. <laughs> it looked very pleasant. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. Maybe I'm a little biased just because of uh, my Azorian blood. Mm-hmm. Uh, concerning the Azores has a lot of lava rock as well. Um, You'd feel right at home. Yeah, so I looked at it and I'm like, that looks pleasant. (laughs) I'm not sure, though. Like, if it's hot, I'm pretty sure you just melt. That's what the water's for. (laughs) Just be a water boy. (laughs) You'll be a pruny boy. Yes. Um, So another side note, after leaving Ascension, Darwin actually stopped in the Azores to restock before the final leg of his journey. Oh, hey, which island? Did not look at that. Aw, oh, come on. Probably San Miguel. It's yeah, the I biggest mean, it's one. The biggest like, one so. Also, the best. <laughs> According to your grandmother, anyway. <laughs> it's because she, she was brought up there. Yes, she was. <laughs> so, why was Ascension interesting to someone who was fresh off the thrill of studying teeming life? Um, Darwin mentioned that he believed that there was a way to make life more comfortable for the British soldiers, and it was possible by adding some vegetation on the central mountain. Uh, that could catch the ocean mist and clouds and bring that water down to the island, allowing for more life to flourish. So he, like, immediately looked at this place and said, we can fix this. <laughs> um, re- Sometimes you can't fix nature. Well, he wanted to try. Uh, and the reason we even know that Darwin thought this was because of letters that he fr- sent to his friend Joseph Dalton Hooker. In fact, many of Darwin's remaining thoughts that we know about from him today, other than his publications are collected from his many correspondences with Hooker. Um, Hooker was a botanist, uh, and Darwin respected his opinion vastly. One account that I saw said that Hooker was critical of Darwin's first theories on evolution, and their back-and-forth refining of Darwin's ideas is what led to the theory that we have today. I found that this was kind of important because, at the time, every scientist that Darwin would tell about his theory would immediately think he was insane. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, I probably would have, too, like, yeah. to be honest. 
So um, one of the people was even the captain of the HMS Beagle, Robert Fitzroy. He was a scientist as well, mm-hmm. and he thought that Darwin was a crackpot. And there was a few instances I saw of um, them going back and forth on, I, would, I guess I wouldn't say silly things, but kind of silly things where they would both just get on each other's nerves a lot and then just kind of separate for a few days on the boat. And then they would come back and be like, I'm sorry, we're still friends, right? Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> so these these two regularly disagreed with each other. Sounds like my relationship with my brother. <laughs> um, so side note, Hooker was uh, dead. What was his name? Was uh, dead? No, no. I thought his name was Dalton, but it's Joseph oh, okay. Dalton Hooker. Um, so Hooker was the first scientist that actually publicly backed Darwin's theory. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's neat. So in 1843, Hooker decided to act on the plan that he and Darwin discussed. Hooker would ship more than 300 species of flora to the island. Most notable of these plants would become the Norfolk pines, eucalyptus, bamboo, and banana trees. The reason why they're notable is because of how prolific they were at the most important part of the island, the top of the mountain. So as mentioned before, Darwin and Hooker's theory was that capturing ocean mist and bringing clouds down to the island would facilitate growth, and that's exactly what these trees did. Over the course of the next 50 or so years, the island would transform from cinders and lava rock to having the uh, having their most prominent mountain now called Green Mountain. Oh, wow, because I totally expected this to be an utter failure. No, so. it was... Good an, job. It was an extreme success. Like, there All was, right. In those 300 species of flora, like, there was a lot of failures, but the ones that held actually stayed and grew and... It all started with these different bushes and trees that would grow on the mountain because they did exactly what Darwin and Hooker thought, which was bring all the moisture from the ocean down and let there be water and the water would recycle and it would create life and it would just be sustainable by itself. I'm like significantly impressed because I just killed a succulent. so (laughs) And I was told you can't do that, but jokes on you guys. I can. <laughs> Black thumb. Yeah. I sh- it should just be illegal for me to own plants at this point, I think. <laughs> Probably. Um, oh, no, I forgot to water the one on the windowsill. Oh, fuck. <laughs> tomorrow. Do it. It's been like three weeks. You've just got to... It... <laughs> no, no, no. It hasn't been that long. It was no, just it was a just like, shower. It yeah. was like maybe like two. Yeah. Okay. It's probably still alive. <laughs> My God. So one thing that was amazing... That, that came from this project was the island now had a fresh source of water, uh, where previously the population had to make do with cistern stations along the roads because they had to use every drop of water responsibly to keep everybody comfortable and happy, just because there was no natural source of water on the island. So they, they just had the ocean water and they had rain, and they had to collect it and use it wisely. Fair. Darwin commented that they actually had to run the island as if it were a giant ship, keeping it absolutely pristine to make sure that everyone was comfortable. That makes I mean, that makes sense. Yeah. So one of the yeah, most notable sure. sources of water that was generated from this experiment was a pond that ended up forming at the base of the Green Mountain, um, and it was surrounded by bamboo shoots. Apparently, in 1990, someone thought it would be funny and put a life-size alligator toy that is still there as of the National Geographic article that I mentioned before. Ah. So when the when the journalist and photographer went there, she walked through the bamboo grove, found the pond, and there was a toy alligator there. And that was in uh, 2017. <laughs> oh, neat. Yeah. So I guess it had like its own lore surrounding it. I tried to look it up, but I mean, with a population that small, it was I could not find any, yeah. anything about the alligator other than that article. Yeah, that, I mean, yeah. That would make sense. So even though that this was, um, there was like a lot of really cool things that happened and life was like flourishing and like this project worked, um, there were some negative associations with it and Hooker predicted them. So not too long after they started the project, he wrote down that he was worried that introducing all of these plants would push out the few native plants that did exist on the island. There were very few, but they existed. Um, And unfortunately, he was right. Many of the flora that once lived was native only to Ascension went extinct with oh. the introduction of invasive African wild grass, and that covers the whole island right now, and then all the trees that I mentioned before, they just pushed out everything that was native. Uh, along with, there were goats on the island and other oh. wildlife that was kind of, like, unchecked. Well, yeah. no, not not they went away. The They ate 
everything oh, that was remaining. Gotcha, gotcha, so, but gotcha. because the invasive plants were taking over this space, it was much easier for the wildlife that was there to just destroy the native stuff and not the gotcha. not the invasive all stuff. Right. That's because one thing to remember is even though they did bring all these things and created life and all that stuff, all of the life they created was invasive. <laughs> Whoopsie. Everything that survived thrived. It's like, it did so well. Oh, God, what have we done? Oh, God, it's still going. Stop. Quick, dig it all up. Yeah, but so, some of the fruits, uh, I mean, some of the plants that end up taking, such as um, fruits like mango and orange trees, like they yeah. had them growing for a bit, and then eventually they just didn't sustain themselves naturally. All right. Yep. So a lot of stuff got pushed out and balancing. Lots of honestly, it's pretty cool to think about because it's very natural. Like something grows and it produces life, and that thing grows and other things grow, and eventually it gets natural selection. I was gonna say, you know what that is? Survival of the fittest. Yeah, it is. (laughs) Which is probably why Darwin was so interested in even seeing the island and potentially writing thoughts about this experiment was because he just saw all of this amazing life and like watched all of tried to learn about the origins of life and how things change and how these islands work because they're completely isolated from humans and then he comes to this barren thing and goes what i learned over there i'm gonna apply here let's do it here yeah let's see how applicable my theory is is what (laughs) i like to imagine i didn't see that anywhere in these notes or anything but like just reading through the the history of this, it really sounds like he was that Ascension Island would be a really good proof of his concept. Gotcha, yeah. In, you know, not that the Galapagos weren't, they were phenomenal, but it's really cool to see it come from nothing. Um, one specific case of an extinct plant was a type of parsley fern native to the island. It was labeled extinct for a century or more when in 2009, a Stetson Stroud discovered three tiny lone specimens of the fern growing on a cliffside. A lot of effort was put into trying to help these parsley ferns thrive since the discovery, but it's still an uphill battle. Stroud mentions that they're thinking of unconventional ways to try of making new flora create a safe place for the older flora in an attempt to thrive rather than survive. That's really interesting. I read something the other day that was about like a um, a species of like small rodent or something that they thought had gone extinct. And, like, no one had seen one in, like, over 100 years. And then all of a sudden someone found one, like, in some random place. And they were like, where did this come from? Yeah, there was another (laughs) example that was a bird. There was a bird that went extinct and essentially re-evolved itself Yes, I saw that, too. That was was super weird. Because it was, like, aren't they, like, native to an island or something like that where they, like, went extinct and then... Just for whatever reason, the other birds that were still living there somehow just repeated their evolutionary process. Yeah. I, it was, I saw that. That was insane. It's very cool. <clears throat> um, Nature's weird. Nature is strange. So both Hooker and Stroud had thoughts about starting over with the island, reverting it back to the way it was before human in- intervention. And mm-hmm. they both seemed to come to the inclusion that what's happened here has been great in many aspects and is so far along that it's better to solve problems by finding ways for these things to coexist. So back in the 1800s, they thought that, and then this new caretaker thought that as well. Um, Setson Stroud was a caretaker of the island up until 2016 when he retired. Oh, nice. Yeah. Is there a new caretaker? Yes. You don't have to remember a name. I was just curious. Her name? Oh, God. <laughs> I want to say Juno, but maybe it's because I was just listening, <laughs> li- listening to the Adventure Zone. Oh, I think it starts with a J. Her last name is Sim or Sims. Oh, okay. I, I forget which one. But yeah, she's a new caretaker and she she worked with Stetson Stroud for a few years before taking over. Nice. Yeah. So as you can probably guess, the reason I found this topic so interesting was this is the first time in history that we terraformed something. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> humans took a near desolate rock introduced plants in a way that specifically targeted the the atmosphere and its habitat and found a way to make those plants ge- create a cycle of sustained life. We did this 200 years ago almost, and this type of test this is the type of test we need to run now to figure out the challenge of bringing life to other planets. Mm-hmm. And that's what some t- scientists are starting to use. I mentioned that's that really it was cool. kind of mostly ignored throughout the entire of the night entirety of the 1900s and now people are scientists are going back and looking at this island again and 
seeing how it's evolved and seeing how it's changed and how sustainable it is and what was sustainable. And I mean, they're not using it extensively, but it's a, it's a good starting point for this is something we terraformed. Yeah, no, that's really, it's really neat. I am. My curiosity is how much like desolate area is there left? Like with how much we've like expanded and changed the landscape and stuff. Is there a ton of like, like a blank space like that essentially? Well, I think I think we have to practice on, I guess. Uh, I, <laughs> or moon. We can do the moon. Let's let's terraform the moon first. <laughs> <laughs> we can talk about why that's not a great idea. I know. I I know why it's not a great idea. It's just the first. I'm tired. The first thing that came to mind was the moon. Yeah. Well, isolated areas. There's still probably a bunch of isolated areas. It's definitely a lot less since we know where everything is. But I mean, there's conservation societies that are trying that's to true. protect like untouched land and specifically like untouched tribes and stuff like that just making sure that everything stays the way it needs to for them yeah um but for like desolate stuff i i mean i i'm sure there's plenty that we just don't want to touch just because it's not worthwhile yeah but probably something that's in as bad of conditions that's in as good as condition as ascension island maybe not too much yeah i mean it's a it's a really new volcanic structure Oh, so, like, it's new is, you know, a million yeah. years old. <laughs> Versus, like, ten million. Right. But it's probably one of the newer volcanic islands that we have. So it's it's kind of interesting to, to study. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I gotta stop. So, yeah, I, I just found this whole story pretty cool. Some quick facts about Ascension is that it was discovered in 1501 by a Portuguese sailor named João de Nova. Oh, there the... you go. That's why you like it, Portuguese. <laughs> <laughs> the reason it's called Ascension is because he found it on Ascension Day, which is the day that the Portuguese culture celebrates the 40th day after Jesus' death and is closely associated with wishes, peace, and prosperity, <laughs> which I found kind of uh, kind of nice considering that yeah. island went from dead to flourishing. That's really cool. Yeah. yeah. Um, while the Portuguese didn't claim the island, they did end up stocking it with the goats that I mentioned earlier. Ah, as, so that's where the goats came from. Yep. So they, they stocked it with goats. They had previously used it as a spot to get meat from the local birds and, like, fishing. And there were some, there was mention of, like, giant green sea turtles that, that you know, laid their eggs on the shore. And so it had it had a lot of natural wildlife and they sailors ended up stocking it with goats so that if anyone got stranded or yeah. needed to restock yeah. they could go to the island and Here, get some meat. Yeah, pretty much. <clears throat> um Poor goats. So I mentioned that it's a volcanic island, so the island's comprised of 44 dormant volcanic craters. Oh wow. Yeah. It's just That's pitted with a lot. volcanic like vents. How big is this island? Not big. Like are we talking like San Miguel sized or like I remember seeing a number and I think that's correct. Okay. I was yeah. curious. It, it seemed small from all the pictures that I was seeing. San Miguel was like seven volcanoes, wasn't it? Well the the whole archipelago is volcano. Right. But I thought that uh, several. But I don't remember what the number was. Yeah, I don't remember <laughs> the number either. I think they were like it was like three are active and like four are dormant or something like that. Yeah, it's it's something like that because they they Cause still use the hot like, springs to cook. Okay, I don't want to go. Yeah, because like they were like this section is dormant, and I was like, that's where I want to stay. Uh-huh. <laughs> but but you get the they get their all their power from the active volcanoes. I know, which is like a really good strategy. Yeah, like that's great. Unfortunately, we all can't be built on volcanoes. I mean, we could. Mm, we could also all die very quickly in a fiery burning hell someone's dramatic uh-huh i i learned about pompeii uh-huh well i guess then nasa and isa <laughs> don't know too much about volcanoes because <laughs> they're putting according to kylie at least oh no because <laughs> most of these um volcanic craters have satellite dishes in them that help NASA and ESA track objects in space along with other confidential uses. Oh, <laughs> confidential. Yep. This is the aliens. Yep. They're tracking aliens. Listen, if we storm Area 51, they can't stop us okay, all. Okay, let's go. <laughs> let's take a trip to Nevada? Yes. <laughs> Had to think about it for a hot I second, I enjoy the, yes. the fact that both of us are like, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe? Aliens in Nevada, yes. <laughs> yeah, so... One other thing I learned about the island is that it was potentially a used for prisons for sailors. Oh. Yep. 
So this come for, comes from just one instance um, where they found a Dutch sailor's journal along with his tent and some scattered goods. His remains were not found, but the journal was brought back to France and published later under the title Sodomy Punished. Oh? Based on the contents of his journal. Oh. So, yeah, they possibly dropped off people that were okay. were not conforming to their <laughs> it beliefs. Was a, it was a baby Australia. <laughs> Very baby. I mean, because we only have one recorded instance of it happening. But who knows? Maybe it happened more. I remember maybe like they were just like any island they found. It was like, here, you live here now. Good luck. Yeah. So lastly, I brought up all these fun Portuguese facts because July 18th, which is also this week, is my mom's birthday. Yes. Happy birthday, mom. I don't think she listens to this. <laughs> we'll figure it out. We'll find out. Don't mention we anything. We won't say anything. Yep. And if she says something, we'll be like, ha you listen. Yeah. What? Uh, it's my hand out for Patreon donation. Oh, Jesus. Your mother. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> but really, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> Zia didn't mean that. <laughs> I'm really tired. So for, for those who might not have heard it earlier or didn't catch on, I mentioned that I'm partially Azorian, and that comes from my mom being an immigrant from the Azores. Yep. Yep. So that's what I got. All right. Um, okay, so. <clears throat> All right. <coughs> Sorry. <clears throat> All right. Buried alive. Buried? I'm going to hurt you. <laughs> Buried, you plebe. <laughs> Pleb. <laughs> All of the bloopers are going to be me messing up words. I do it intentionally. You asshole. (laughs) (laughs) Because you definitely misspoke. You said something wrong. Oh, I said, I said. You said like like, inclusion instead of. Mamie the mame. Yeah. But no, there was something where you said inclusion instead of like, like something else. And I didn't say anything because I didn't want to embarrass you. But I made like the face. Listen, we have to have a segment at the beginning that everyone can laugh at. How come it's always me? (laughs) You're the worst. All right. Buried alive. Buried. Say bury. You're fine. Um, The story of the Chowchilla kidnapping. The largest mass kidnapping in the United States. Ooh. So on July 15th, 1976, 26 children aged 5 to 14 and their bus driver were abducted in Chowchilla, California. It might be Couchilla now to think about it. How's it spelled? C H O W. Chilla. Like chinchilla, but chow. So I'm like, is it chow or cow? I definitely listened to a video talking about this and promptly forgot how the guy pronounced it. Chow it is. It is now, I guess. If anyone is from California wants to it's correct me. Chinchilla. <laughs> maybe. If anyone's from California wants to correct me. Like, tweet the correct pronunciation or something, please. Because I feel really dumb and I'm going to say it a lot. <clears throat> so, the uh, the children that are on the bus were being dropped off on their way back from a field trip to the fairground swimming pool uh, when they came upon a van and armed men who blocked the road around 4 p.m. One of the children, um, Linda Carreo Labandiera, recounted in a 2015 interview with CNN that um, uh, quote, I quote, its hood was up and Edward, our driver, couldn't do anything but slow down and try to go around it. But being the gentleman farmer that he was, he started to offer help. And as quick as his words were coming out, they jumped on the bus with their guns pointed at us, at us and the rifle and told Edward to go to the back of the bus. Um, no one could see the, rema- uh, the gunmen's faces, um, as they were all wearing pantyhose pulled over their heads. You know how the like, squishes? Mm-hmm. It's like the traditional, like, bank robber look is you... So strange. It's very strange. But, it, I mean, it's pretty good at, like, distorting features enough that, like... But ski masks are better. That's true. Yeah. Anyways. I, yeah. Well, I mean, it was the 70s. What are they going to do? Um, she recalled ducking under her fourth row seat just inches away from the barrels of the guns. Her three sisters were also on the bus and were panicking in the back. Um, so the gunman drove the bus through a thicket of bamboo, which jostled the students um, with each stock that the bus hit. Um, and she recounted that the bamboo was as high as the bus, and we were just shaken all over. The turbulence didn't stop until they reached a concealed ditch, and that's where two vans were waiting. The gunman told the children to get inside. The kidnappers hid the bus, like the school bus, um, and I saw pictures of where they hid the school bus. And like it must have been like off a like very obscure road, because like, 
it was just a school bus and some bamboo. So it just must have been super hard to get to or something. Because I'm like, it's not really a great hiding spot. Yeah. Unless it's like super hard to get to that place. Yeah, maybe the bamboo was just enough to obscure it from yeah, the real world. I think so. Yeah. Um, so, oh, okay. So there were two vans waiting and the gunman told the children to get inside. The kidnappers hid the bus and drove the children and the bus driver around for in, in the two vans for 11 hours, eventually taking them to a quarry in Livermore, California, which is about 100 miles northwest of um, Charchella. Oh. Yeah, so they took a trip. It was dark, the windows were painted in, no one could see in, and no one could see out. Um, another student, Jennifer Brown Hyde, who was nine at the time, said the conditions were miserable. It was hot, it was over 100 degrees. Um, there was no water and there was no bathroom on the bus. Um, Correa Libanera suggests, so Linda, I'm going to call her Linda. Um, Linda suggests, suspects that she knows why the kidnappers drove around for so long. And she thinks that it's because they had to wait until the time when no one would be, a, no one would be around. Um, and there would be no workers because it was an active, it was an active quarry. Mm-hmm. So like they were, they were purposely waiting until there wouldn't be anyone there to see what they did. Um, the kidnappers then asked each child his or her name, age, address, and phone number, which, like, some of these kids are super young, so not, like, I don't think I knew my phone number when I was five. Hmm. Or, like, I don't I don't know if I would have known my, my address. Yeah. Like, I, I don't know, maybe things are different in the 70s, but, like, I feel like that's one of those things where, like, you're dealing with young children. Good luck. I yeah, guess. really. Like, you're taking a risk. I mean, the whole thing's a risk, but that in particular... Um, so they also took a piece of clothing or a belonging from each student, presumably to, like, Ransom. prove that it mm. was, you know, we actually have your kid kind mm-hmm. of deal. Um, so the gun, but the government, the government, geez, the gunmen never explained why they were abducting the children. I only the government. Re- the government. I only recall them ever telling us to shut up and be quiet. Um, with only some construction lights illuminating the dark quarry, the kidnappers ordered the children and the bus driver into what looked like a massive grave. But was actually a moving van, moving van hidden underground. What? Clever. <clears throat> I wonder what the reward for this is gonna be. <laughs> You'll find out. Yeah. <clears throat> so, um, uh, Curio Linda said it was. <laughs> I keep trying to say it and then going. I can pronounce her first name easily. Um, it was buried in buried into the ground. It was like a tomb. It was like a coffin. It was like a giant coffin for all of us. Creepy. Um, there were small amounts of food and water, as well as um, a number of mattresses and, like, general kind of things to sit or stand on inside the van for the kids and Ed. Um, the younger ones cried, and someone recounted that the younger ones cried helplessly, and that the older ones tried to comfort them. Um, but as they were all, like, as they were in there for, like, a period of time, the smell of vomit and filth intensified because it was so hot in California in July. Yeah. And you're buried underground. Oh, underground makes it a little cooler, but still not great. Right, but, like, in an open quarry. So, like, the ground is, like, banking on top of you. Yeah. Also, that many people in such a small Yeah, and, like, um, I'll show you pictures in a minute, but, like... Yeah, continue. They were... It was not a big space for 27 people. Um, So, after several hours, the bus driver, Frank Edward Ray, um, he went by Ed, so I'm going to call him Ed... Um, the chil- and the children stacked the mattresses, enabling some of them to reach the opening at the top of the trunk, truck, sorry, um, which had been co- covered with a metal plate and weighed down with 200 pound, so two 100 pound industrial batteries and several feet of dirt. Thanks. Um, so they wedged the lid open with a stick and Ray moved the, um, Ed moved the batteries somehow and they removed the remainder of the debris that blocked the entrance. <clears throat> so this is actually where I'm going to show you the pictures. So... That is the interior. That's what it looked like on the inside. They took this, like, right after they recovered the children. That's what the the top looked like, like, when it was, like, like unburied. Oh, yeah. It's it's literally just a bus buried in the ground. And then um, you can kind of see. So, like, I had another picture that I didn't print out that was, like, it opened from the front where you could see that there was, like, three or four feet of dirt on top of the ceiling. Yeah, it's all crushed in on the top. Yeah, if you're looking. So, like, if you're looking at the top. Um, and if anyone is curious about like what this looks like, just Google the um, Chowchilla um, kidnapping and then like hit images and you'll find all like it's like 
the first couple of images are yeah, like the, the ones that we're looking at the first that image. don't contain children crying in them. Yeah, so the first image that Kylie has is the inside of a bus. It doesn't have any <clears> seats <throat> in it anymore. All that's pulled out and there's some... No, it's not, it's not a bus. It's like a moving um, moving truck, so like like an 18-wheeler. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's like the inside of like an 18-wheeler oh, I see kind it now. of thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah, it's just a big, empty tractor-trailer bed. Yeah. And like there are some mattresses, some pillows, what look like some maybe some blankets. Maybe some boxes. <clears throat> and then a couple of toilets. Ah, they're toilets. Yeah, that's nasty as hell. It's it's just boxes with um holes, holes cut, in them. cut yep. in them for people to go to the bathroom in, and it's disgusting. Um, it's better than telling them to go in a corner. <laughs> I, I guess. Um, and then the second one is like a top down view, looking at the um, looking at it from like above, and then um, after it's been uncovered. We'll to the side. after it's been uncovered, so like you can see the top. So the top of the tra- trailer started actually collapsing I while they that. were in there, um, and. Ed mentioned in an interview that he did at one point that long, not long af- um, not long after the kidnapping that the roof of the truck truck had started collapsing and that's when he really started to try and find a way out mm-hmm. because he didn't think that they could wait for people to find them and like of course there's you know twenty six children panicking freaking out throwing up overheating and like it definitely was more it was more of a like race for the clock because he didn't know. If they were going to be ransomed, he didn't know. Also, like air, what would like... happen? Yeah, exactly. I mean, <clears throat> and I, I think that's partially what they thought they were doing with like the plates is that like on the top because there was like a couple of holes on the top and the metal plates, and I think they were trying to like keep air in it, but I don't really think not really successfully. Yeah, it didn't seem like these guys no. really knew what they were trying to no, do. No, if they no. were trying to keep some hostages alive. Yeah, no, it really was not. Not a good deal. Yeah. Um, Let's figure out how dumb these guys are. Yep. Um, so, luckily, once they removed the batteries and the debris from the from the truck, um, the kidnappers were asleep. They were taking a nap. <laughs> they had been so tired from kidnapping these children that they took a nap. And so they weren't, like, paying attention. Like, it sounded like they literally, like, kind of snuck past them. When they escaped. My God. Yeah, idiots. <laughs> I'm sorry. There's three of them. Take shifts. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Why are you such idiots? If you're going to do something dumb, <laughs> at least be smart about your dumb right? thing. My God. <laughs> Plan better, guys. I'm not telling you how to do a crime. Just don't do it this poorly. <clears throat> I don't know if you're not telling us how to do a crime. You did express a lot of interest in our other outlaw stories. And that's true. I have, like, I have, like, an emerging obsession with, like, true crime. So I'm, like, over here thinking, like, well, if I did it, uh, this is how I do it and stuff. And I'm like, hmm, this does <laughs> oh. not bode well for the rest of my life. <laughs> Kylie's a sociopath. <laughs> no, I would, I, I had, no, I would never. I'm honestly probably too afraid of the moral repercussions more so than anything else. I'm afraid of getting in trouble. I'm going to use something I learned from our other podcast. Do, 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 do. Uh-huh. Save me! Oh, stop it. You could leave if you wanted to. <laughs> um, okay, so kidnappers were asleep. They're going to nap. So after 16 hours underground, they emerged and walked to the quarry's guard shack near the Shadow Cliffs East Bay Regional Park in, um, what did I, Liver, Livermore, California, <clears throat> where the guard actually immediately knew who they were and called the police. Oh. Be- he, well, he saw a gaggle of children walk up because it had been Six. Oh, yeah, no, they had, had to been, drive a long time. It had time. been 11 hours and then 16 hours. So it had been over 24 hours of this, like, bus of children missing. Yeah. And, and they're they, obviously going to look disheveled. Well, and they and I think um, after after a while, they actually found the bus where it was hidden. So, like, they knew something was up. Like, the children were not in the bus. The and bus could, was hidden. And you could probably right. track the bus. Yes, this is the bus that the children were in. These right, are the yes. children. Um, so it, it was very much, like, it was all over the news. Like, it everyone knew about this abduction. Okay. No one knew why, and I'll get to that later, but everyone knew that these, you know, 26 kids and their bus driver had, like, been abducted. I don't want to know why. Let's get I know, to right? It. We're working on it. <laughs> okay. It's a mystery. Um, So, it's reported, and so, once he called the police, they showed up, and um, everyone were reported to be in good condition, so, like, no one, like, needed to be rushed to the hospital. Like, they were all kind of checked out and evaluated, and then sent back home to their parents. Surprising, Which is but cool. probably where they desperately wanted to be anyway. Yep. Um, so there's a three, sh- there's a short three minute video that's attached to an online article from the Sacramento Bee 
anyone's interested in finding it, um, it's actually, it's pretty cute. Um, and in it, the sheriff in Chachilla, so technically in Medina County, he was the sheriff of the county in the seventies, talks about the kidnapping. Um, so he said that the police were already tracking down a lead on the vans because they had found the bus. Um, and they had put out an APB on, um, dark blue, black van type vehicles. Um, and a woman who reported three men acting extremely suspiciously, like she had looked out her window and saw these men, these three men being like really weird. Like, you, know, I don't yeah. really know how to explain like suspicious activity, but like, like she was instantly like, these guys are up to something, um, in their dark, creepy vans. Um, um, and she had actually, she was so suspicious that she had written the license number down. Oh, good on so her. So she had the van license number. Unfortunately, they had bought the van under fake names. <laughs> so the police were in the process of, and, and the FBI, because like they immediately called in the FBI for missing, you know, 26 missing children. Yeah. Um, so they, um, they were in the process of trying to backtrack from the fake, like find out enough information to figure out who was using the fake names. So far, the fake names is the only smart thing these people have done. I know, right? <clears throat> Okay, well, they're about to get even dumber, so it's great. Yes. So, um, after they escaped, the, uh, <clears throat> the, um, under hypnosis, the bus driver remembered the license plate of one of the vans, and it belonged, um, or the truck, sorry, the truck. You know, he remembered the license plate of one of the vans, and they were able to help, like, figure out all that crap. But, so the truck that they were buried in was registered to the quarry owner's son, <laughs> Frederick Newell Woods IV. He was arrested after fleeing to Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. Um, his accomplices, Richard and James Schoenfeld, Schoenfeld surrendered to authorities in California. Um, James was actually caught shortly before he was able to surrender. Richard actually surrendered. Um, despite coming from well-to-do families, the three kidnappers were seeking a $5 million ransom. But here's the, the kicker. They had been unable to call in their ransom demand. Because the telephone lines to the Chachilla Police Department were tied up by media calls and the families who were searching for their children. <laughs> Dummies. That's like funny. they're oh god. Um, so the kidnapper's attorney um is quoted as saying, I have no idea why they needed or wanted the money. They were greedy. That's evident. There's no justifying this crime, obviously. Hmm. How do you how do you think you would feel being represented by someone who was like, These guys are dumbasses, why did they do this? Yeah. They have, like, there's no justifying this. You're an idiot. Oh, <laughs> like, yeah. I don't, I'd be like, oh, I want a new lawyer. <laughs> I mean, maybe the maybe the lawyer was just trying to get him on as little charges as possible. I know that's, <clears throat> that's a lot of the times the play is just admit yeah, as much guilt maybe. as possible, reduce sentencing time. Yeah, maybe. If they came from well-to-do families, they probably were like, let's get these guys back out in the real world as soon as we can. Yeah, I mean, it's possible that, like, that was kind of the play. Yeah. Um. So he also said, the attorney also said that he believes the men were trying to get the money from the state's education education department because there had been reports that the state had a surplus at the time so like he's guessing that he was hoping the state would pay for them not the parents of the children from whom he is demanding the ransom so and like that might that very well might have actually been what their goal was is that My they God. didn't think they weren't actually asking it from the parents but because they never called it in because they couldn't right. because they kidnapped 26 children who had very concerned families they I'm weren't like, able to call in their ransom. <laughs> and I'm guessing Chowchilla was kind of a small place. So yeah, it's it's a it, small... so, it sounds like their infrastructure wasn't great for communications. So. Yeah, no. And I mean, it was the 70s, so like, no no internet, no social media. It was all like phone yeah. and like a little bit of TV. So it was all over television and stuff and like the news, which is why like all the media outlets were calling as well. And then like other... I'm sure they were also flooded by, like, other concerned citizens or, like, people who were trying to report something suspicious that likely had absolutely nothing to do with what was actually going on. Yeah. Um, so, interestingly enough, some of the details of the crime corresponded to details in The Day the Children Vanished, which is a story by Hugh Pentecost that was published in Alfred Hitchcock's Daring Detectives in 1969. A copy of this book was in the Chachala Public Library, and pre police theorized that it had inspired the kidnappers. Hmm. Yeah, so, fun fact. Maybe they actually learned something from a book. Who knows? Um, upon searching the house um, that, like, the men had been staying in, <clears throat> police and FBI found written plans with details on the kidnapping, which looked like they were written in Arabic, um, as well as a draft of a ransom note. So, they didn't leave a ransom note because they were going to call it in. 
but maybe... And also, were they, like, pretending to be Arabic? They, their well, names don't sound that. Arabic. I'll get to that. Okay. Um, so, uh, it's... My guess is that, like, when they realized they weren't able to call in, they probably started to write a ransom note to try and, like, leave somewhere. Like, um, so... And it's just, like, they failed epically at everything they tried. Like, they couldn't keep children buried. They escaped. They couldn't call in their ransom because they kidnapped children. And they couldn't even leave a ransom note because at that point there had been too much attention. And where were they going to leave a ransom note that wouldn't immediately get them captured? Oh, is that why they needed to put it in a different language to try and, like, <clears throat> keep them off their tail or something? No, I actually don't know about why it was in a different... Um, so it was actually written in code. It was oh. written in their own original code. Oh, it looked But at like the time Arabic. it looked like Arabic because it was, like, more symbols and stuff than yep. it was, like, like, like American, like... Um, letters i could see that uh, yeah. i definitely invented a few code languages yeah, in so, high school and stuff um yeah so the um <clears throat> it was written their, their own special <clears throat> code um that the fbi were actually able to decipher um they were able to crack it i mean it was probably a simple it just probably letter very, equals letter exactly yeah that's that's probably that would be the best guess i think so in the notes the kidnappers actually had specifically written no killing that's good so it definitely seems to me that like they had no intention of the kids being trapped in there for that long, but because they couldn't get the ransom note out, they were probably in there a lot longer than the kidnappers had even intended, which is why they're like, you know, they were so the kids were so panicked and everything. And like, although they were taking a nap, so <laughs> yeah, I don't know, I don't how... know what they were really thinking they were doing. But it's they weren't trying to kill the kids, <laughs> but they were about to anyways. Yeah, well, I mean, like. It... It doesn't appear that they were super intelligent individuals in general, so probably the thought that you could run out of air didn't really occur to them. Mm -hmm. They were probably like, oh, it's a big truck, you know, like, it's Plenty fine. Plenty of air in there. We'll leave a hole in the top. For 26 panicked children who were probably, like, hyperventilating and breathing extremely heavily and oh, using yeah. up all the air. Um, anyway, so, all three of the kidnappers pled guilty to kidnapping and were each given 27 life sentences without the possibility of parole. So, um, that's, that's something that I just hate about our justice system. The fact that they have to give people multiple life sentences because there is a chance that it could be reduced down to a time where they could leave. Can't life just mean life? Please. Can life just mean life? You just. Oh, no. Yeah. <clears throat> so Linda st um, stated that after they were, you know, sentenced to their 27 life sentences without the possibility of parole. We felt safe in Chachilla. We felt safe growing up knowing we were assured that they would never get out. Knowing that the kidnappers were in prison, we weren't scared they were going to come get us. Um, they said, they'll never get out. You'll never have to worry. Which would be great if it weren't for this next part. Did they, did they escape? Nope. They got out. My God. Let me just tell the goddamn story. Oh, I'm so frustrated with it. <laughs> Sorry. Okay, I'm getting to it. So an appeals court overturned the original sentences. Um, they ruled that the men had caused no serious bodily injury, therefore they should have the chance of parole. <sighs> yeah, I know, that's how I felt too. <clears throat> now here comes the best part. Okay. Don't talk. <laughs> I'm like, don't, don't guess. Okay, Richard Schoenfield was released in 2012. James Schoenfield was paroled August 7th, 2015. And Woods became eligible for parole later that year. Um, their attorney said that they weren't talking to the media, but that the victims should not fear Woods if he was released, saying that Mr. Woods has no animosity towards any of them. He is absolutely apologetic and recognizes he committed a horrible crime. However, Woods was denied parole in November of 2015 um, because he continued to minimize his crime and had disciplinary inf infractions, including three possessions of pornography and two for possession of a contra contraband cell phones. Um, but like mostly the minimizing his crime section there so just remember that so it sounds to me that he was not apologetic or cognizant that he had in fact committed a horrible crime like his attorney said because the justification for denying him parole was that he continued to minimize said crime um also why would they put no pornography on a parole list if there wasn't something also wrong with that <laughs> you said no pornography and he had pornography right right so like when you're in prison you don't you don't get anything Right. So, like, whether or not, like, a normal everyday person can have pornography, like, which most people can, there's, in prison, like, oh, you can't have... Oh, oh, I thought you were saying no, no, he, no, was he was out on no, parole. No, he was denied parole because oh, while he yeah. was in jail, he had 
contraband pornography, contraband cell phones. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then at his parole hearing, he minimized the impact of a crime. I'm all caught up now. Okay, we're good. We're good yep. now. Okay, good. Good, I, good. I, I thought he was out on parole and no, then no, was no, taken no. back. No, he because... was denied parole. Okay, yes, yeah, yes, yeah, yes, yeah. yes. So the two Schofield brothers are out. Woods is still in and then was denied parole in 2015. So no parole for him yet. Um, so I, I'm looking at this guy. What is wrong with this dude? So clearly the attorney lied. Yep. Because if he said he was apologetic and he was, um, what were the words? Absolutely apologetic and recognizes he committed a horrible crime. He clearly didn't because the justification for denying parole was that he minimized his crime. Yeah. Um, and like, from what I understand of like parole hearings, like the big thing in parole hearings is that you have to recognize that what you did was, was bad and you have to like actually express remorse. Like mm-hmm. you have to be sorry. And like, that's a big part. You have of, to not like, be a sociopath. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So like that was, that was a, that's a big part of like a parole hearing is that like, you have to like, not essentially, not really prove per se, but like you have to show that like you realize that what you did was very, very wrong. Yeah, reforma- reformation. Exactly. Those are supposed to be a reform institution. Right, yeah. Um, so clearly, he, either he's like really stupid and didn't know that. I think we know or that. Or a really <laughs> bad actor who like just couldn't even muster up enough like fake remorse to make it look like he was sorry. So like, in my opinion, like if you can't, like, he couldn't even fake it, so, like, clearly he does not deserve to be out. Yeah, let's bring, that's just me. Let's but bring, that's just me. Let's bring back those 27 life sentences. <laughs> right? With no parole. Um, so, he was denied parole in 2015, um, which meant that he wouldn't be el- eligible for another three years, which would put um, a potential another parole hearing at 2018. Um, I couldn't find any information as to whether or not he did have a parole hearing then, but just because he was eligible doesn't mean that he got a parole right. hearing. Um, because that gets pushed back for various reasons. Like if he had another infraction or something like that, yeah. it would get pushed back. Um, so like, it sounds like par for the course, he, it probably got pushed back cause he did something. Um, um, and I mean like, you know what? I don't feel bad kind of making fun of this guy because you kidnapped 26 children. Yeah. You dumb. <laughs> like that's not okay. <laughs> it's not okay. Um, so f- fun fact, he was married twice while in prison. <laughs> so two different women both wanted to marry a convicted child kidnapper. I mean, maybe at one point we'll get into that, but that's a that's definitely a thing. Like prison wives. Oh god. Like women who are just extremely attracted to people in prison. I I don't understand. I, I read like, up about it at some point. Is it like the danger factor? Well, like well, like thrill seeking almost. Like I think a lot of them when I when I had seen this before, it was more of like they're not a bad person. I can fix them. Ah. Yeah. It's the, I can fix them. Yeah. Okay. We don't have to linger on that. Yeah, okay, I see. I see where that came from. Um, Okay, so on the upside, the bus driver, Ed, received a California School Employees Association citation for outstanding community service. Nice. You say citation, and I thought you were going to say something bad. Nope. (laughs) Oh, my God, you let the kids get kidnapped. Yeah. Um, No, okay. (laughs) Sorry, I had three guns pointed at me. I didn't know what to do. Yeah, seriously. Um, Yeah. Okay, so... Um, unfortunately, he died in 2012, but he was the age of 92, which, you know. They'll do it for most people. Good job. You did good, bud. Um, so before he died, he was visited by many of the school children that he helped, he had helped save. Um, and February 26th has been declared the Edward Ray Day in Chowchilla. Nice. So every year on February 26th, they celebrate him, which I think is super sweet. What a guy. Yeah. Um, so additionally, all 26 children have, ooh, not all 26. It was actually 10. Sorry, um, 10 of the children, I miswrote, um, 10 of the children have filed a lawsuit in 2016 against their kidnappers, requesting a jury trial to make the three men pay money for what they did to them. So the attorney for the victim, for the 10 victims filing this lawsuit, um, Ray Butcher, has has filed a lawsuit on behalf of the victims against Woods and the Schoenfelds for false imprisonment, intentional or reckless infliction of emotional distress, assault and battery. He explained that California law allows the victims to sue up to 10 years after the kidnappers are paroled. Um, So he said if they get out, then they ought to be held accountable and they ought to pay. And they ought to be able to stand in front of these children, these victims, and answer for what they did to them. Sure. And I 100% agree. Um, And then, so as of the article um, that I read from ABC 30 Action News um, that was published in 2016, Mm -hmm. all of my citation information... Um, the case was in mediation and no amount had been discussed. 
Um, I didn't search super hard for more information because I'm assuming that, like, if it did progress, it probably isn't public yet. Yeah. Um, so some of the, like, aftermath of this is that um, a study found that the kidnapped children had suffered from panic attacks, nightmares involving kidnappings and death, and personality changes. Um, many developed fears of such thing as such things as cars, the dark, the wind, the kitchen, mice, dogs, and hippies, which is an interesting one there. <laughs> I like I look I so I saw a couple of pictures of these guys and like I'm not sure hippie is the word that I would use, but like maybe was it pictures of current them or pictures no, of no 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 pictures of them then like they didn't look like super hippie but like hippie but like there were a couple of pictures like if you if you look up like the kidnappers there's one picture where, like, one of them looks super creepy. Like, just, like, the way he's looking into the camera, you're like, oh, I can see how you could kidnap 20, 26 children. The dang hippies. <laughs> Damn hippies. Um, I like that kid. <laughs> that kid that <laughs> the decided kid hippies were bad. Hippies, yeah. Um, oh, so less, less funny. Um, one of the children actually shot a Japanese tourist with a BB gun, so probably didn't really hurt him. Um, yeah, when I the, say that. I mean, I'm, I'm hoping... Um, shot him with a BB gun when the tourist car broke down in front of his home because oh, he thought yep. someone was coming. So his response was, I'm going to shoot him with a BB gun. Um, which, you know what? Fair. Yeah, you fair. got kidnapped. <laughs> I think I think that's a valid response. Yeah, I think we can push that one off on PTSD yeah. real easily. Yeah. And so, and then many of the children continue to report symptoms of trauma um, at least 25 years after the kidnapping, um, including substance abuse and depression. And a number have been imprisoned for doing something controlling to somebody else. I'm not sure what I meant by this. Weird. Anyway, moving manipulating on. Manipulating other people right, into like crimes? Right, like manipulation. I'm, I'm not sure into crimes is probably I mean, that's the only way that like, manipulation can be illegal, like... Um, it's probably more, um, like, domestic issues. Domestic abuse, maybe. Yeah, that kind of thing is my guess. Um, so I, um, I'm like... Yeah, okay, I could see how I'd have a lot of trauma and, like, PTSD from that. Uh-huh. That seems pretty legit. Um, also, like, I feel like the shooting with the kid would be gun is fucking... But... <clears throat> not funny for the kid. Not funny for the kid. Not but... funny for the tourist. <laughs> yes. I mean, like, the bright side about this is that they all were, like, physic- like physically okay, less so emotionally, because they were children. Yeah. And, like, kids are really impressionable. So, like, having something so traumatic happen as a child was clearly, like, life-altering in the long run. And then having them get out of, get out on parole. And, I mean, it's like, they're all adults now, so they're all, like, in their 40s and, like, early 50s. Mm -hmm. But still, like, that's probably, like, very nerve-wracking. I'm upset that they're out on parole. Like, I wasn't involved. I didn't know about it until 10 minutes ago, and I'm upset. It's, it's awful. So, like, I was reading this, and I'm like, okay, no one died. Great, I'm going to do it. And then as I started going through it and, like, reading more about it, I got, like, really mad. Like, I, I listen to a lot of, like, true crime and stuff, and, like, I'm very – I'm just per- perpetually fascinated by, like, why people do horrible things. Like, there's never a good reason for it. And I think it's just one of those things where, like, I like to freak – somehow, for whatever reason, I enjoy freaking myself out. And I was like, great, this is great. No one dies. And then I had already decided that I was going to do it. And I'm, like, going through it going, this is not as, like, I thought there would be something, like, I, you know, I thought it was going to be, like, a happier ending and stuff. And I'm like, oh, no. Well, here we go. I feel like we should learn from our listening to Sawbones that you just don't keep going because everyone (laughs) dies eventually. Yes. Everyone dies someday. We don't have have to make it to that point. Yeah. Well, the, yeah. The other one that I thought of doing was going to be the death of someone. And I was going to talk about, like, what they had done. Um, okay, so, um, okay, so in that interview with CNN in 2015, um, that was actually right before Wood's parole hearing that he actually didn't get paroled on, um, Linda said that the 40 years that had passed, technically 39 and like a half, but 40 years, um, still hadn't been enough to get over the trauma. Now 49, she said she is, um, quote, living the whole ordeal all over again. The whole kidnapping, being buried alive. Um, just flashes of everything that had happened. <clears throat> so the Chargerly kidnapping has been referenced on several shows and films, um, including a season two episode of House of Horrors Kidnapped, which airs on Investigation Discovery. Um, the episode was titled Buried Alive and is told from the point of view of Michael Marshall, who was 14 at the time of the kidnapping. So he was the oldest kid on the bus. Um, 
There was also a two-hour made-for-TV movie about the event that aired on ABC Network in 1993 that was titled They've Taken Our Children, The Chachala Kidnapping. Um, it starred Carl Malden as a bus driver and Julie Harris as his wife, so I... It definitely, I think it's more focused on them. Yeah. More so than, like, the kids. Because um, I think it was probably a lot of, like, w- like what he was doing to try and help them escape and, like, what she was doing to try and find her husband. Um, that kind of thing. So, um, there's also a fourth season episode of Walker, Texas Ranger that involves the kidnapping of a busload of school children um, buried alive in a landfill with the kidnappers demanding a hundred million ransom. Uh, 10 million ransom. Sorry, I can't read. It's fine. <laughs> I'm adding zeros where they don't belong, like a computer. Um, so... And Chuck Norris saves the day. Yes, well, um, so, and then, like, the other thing I thought of is that, um, there was an episode of Bones where Bones and, um... Booth. Nope, not Booth. No? The, the Bugs and Slime Guy. Hodge. Hodgins. Hodgins, yeah. Yes, okay, Hodgins. Bones and Hodgins are buried alive. I almost said Hodgkins, which is not the same. No, it's not, <laughs> it's not Hodgkins lymphoma. Nope. Thanks. Um, yeah, so Booth, uh, Bones and Hod- Hodgins. Hodgins, Jesus, you made me second guess myself, um, are buried alive in her car. Um, and they actually escape by exploding her like phone battery or something and causing a big enough of like a shift in the dirt on top of them that they were actually able to like crawl out. Um, well, she was able to crawl out. Hodgins actually kind of hurt himself when he did the explosion thing, so she crawled out and got him out. Um, and then there's a movie that I vaguely recall from, like, watching it as a kid, where, like, this kid misses his school bus for, like, a camp trip or, like, something. So he's, like, either walking, he's, like, walking to where he knows he's supposed to go, but he's, like, walking through, like, the woods and taking, like, a shortcut or something, and he accidentally witnesses the like either the kidnapping of the whole bus or someone on the bus being kidnapped like the bus is stopped and either one of the kids or the whole bus gets kidnapped and i tried to find this movie for like 20 minutes i don't know if you saw me searching like movie like movies with blank 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 i could not for the life of me find it i think i might be shoving a couple of movies no Uh i think i'm shoving a couple of different movies together because I also remember from it like a girl in a limo like with like like what looks like kidnappers so I'm like super confused so I think I'm like shoving together like First Daughter which is like a movie where the president's daughter gets kidnapped and like something else like about like a summer camp I think my my brain is just shoving them all together and I (laughs) so I'm like over here typing like Movie where a kid witnesses a bus kidnapping. And not a- <laughs> you hear that, Hollywood executives? We need the president's daughter. We need the we need camp whatever, and we need speed. Just put them all together, and that's going to be your movie. Apparently, I just made one up in my head and was like, "This is it." And I spent like twenty minutes trying to find it until I gave up. Oh, <laughs> well, I was like, maybe it was one of those like feature films for families movies. I went through their whole, like, catalog of, like, what is... I mean, at least what I could find, like, listed online. There may be things that, like, are no longer known or whatever. And I could not find it. I just finally gave up. (laughs) So, yeah. So, that was the the biggest mass kidnapping in the United States. Very cool. Well, that will be our show. Uh, You can find us on Facebook and Twitter at Halfwit History. You can find us at Patreon at Pod. And you can send us an email and say hi or suggest topics or anything you want. Just send me the correct pronunciation of Chuchula. <laughs> yeah, every time we pronounce something wrong, please tweet at us. Oh, definitely. God, no. <laughs> um, but I feel can, like that would get over real fast. <laughs> yeah. There was sarcasm in that. Or you could, so you can send us an email at halfwitpod at gmail.com. Yeah. Um, oh, and thank you to the oh, yeah. fishermen for the use of our theme song, Another Day. You can find him on SoundCloud. He's a cool guy. Yeah. I still find it really cool that you were like, hey, can we use this? And he was like, yeah, sure. And <laughs> yes, actually, please. He actually responded. <laughs> That's nice. Um, okay. Fun fact. Yeah, what's up? On July 18th, 1976, um, for her performance in the uneven parallel bars at the Olympic Games in Montreal, Nadia Comaneci of Romania becomes the first gymnast to be awarded a perfect score of 10 in an Olympic gymnastics event. Cool. And I did gymnastics for like 18 years, so I'm like, 
yeah, <laughs> I've seen that routine. It was I watched it a lot because mm. I sucked at bars. <laughs> <laughs> so my fun fact was July sixteenth of fourteen thirty nine, kissing is banned in England. Hey, I have that one too. <laughs> Do you know why? Yeah, to stop the spread of the Black Death. Yeah. Because apparently kissing was the biggest problem, not, you know, like, hygiene. Everything else, that was definitely a big problem. <laughs> Literally everything that spread the plague, kissing is the real issue. I mean, kissing requires you to get close true, to people yes. with very bad hygiene. Yeah, that's, I mean, yeah. I don't know why you'd want to kiss someone who had very bad hygiene. Yeah. But it was a different time. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, that's our show. Hope you had fun listening. We had fun recording. Bye.